Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. Hey guys, welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting across from Alexis Linkletter and next to Billy Jensen. And he has a fun hat on today. I don't necessarily think it's fun. I think it's <laughs> intriguing. I think it's <laughs> is, mysterious. Is it like a newsboy Did cat? you get it in London? No, I did not get it in London. I got it from Goran Hats. Right there, oh, so on, like right there in Ventura Boulevard, yeah. Huh. And uh, and it's got a, a a neat little pin on it. Yeah, too. what's that pin? It's for Halloween. Vampire blood, very on it's brand. The vamp, it's the vampire blood, the fake vampire blood from Creepy Company. The, you remember the fake vampire blood? Like, if you were going to be, were you, were you ever a vampire for Halloween? Yeah, as yeah. a kid. Yeah. yeah, and then you would get that fake vampire blood. Yeah, it's a very the great packaging of that and that is the a a pin that represents that wow and i feel like since in all of my photos that are ever taken to me people say i look like a vampire i'm just going to embrace it you do look like a vampire but we are just almost in vampire season yes um okay so we're going to jump into the story today i'm excited because it is our first crowdsourced first degree connection we are so excited we got an email about somebody who had a first degree connection to this case we just had her here in the studio she just left she is amazing you guys are gonna love what she has to say and so this case hits kind of close to home for us because everything happened in hollywood like a lot of our cases have so far and if you guys are a sons of anarchy fan or maybe a voc fan you might have heard of this case in the news a couple years ago but we're gonna jump right in Today's story is really about kind of a curious and perplexing fall from grace. And we'll kind of explore what would potentially cause a successful actor, a new father, a really handsome guy, someone who was described as sweet, seemed to have a loving family, to throw all that away, become kind of unhinged, and just throw his entire life away, taking people down with him. He was hot, by the way. He was. He was very handsome. And this case starts, as most do with a disturbing 911 call that drew police to respond to a really beautiful mansion in Los Feliz in Los Angeles on September 26, 2012. Now, Billy, you're familiar with the house, right? I certainly am. Yeah. Why are you a second? Billy is familiar with the case. I meant to say this in the very beginning because like most of the cases that we have covered so far, we're like, Billy, have you heard of this one? He's like, yeah, I wrote an article about it in Rolling Stone or what was this? LA name? Magazine. LA Magazine or... Yeah. 
all these other reputable things. This and was his first piece in LA Magazine. I read was. the little footnote at the bottom. I was like, huh, ha, ha. The only footnote I read was the mistake that you had made in it. <laughs> <laughs> About an L. Ron Hubbard connection. Oh, yes, form, yeah, yes, yes. Thank you very much. Yes. Yeah, you wrote 6,000 words on this, but I remember that one mistake that you made that yep. said that he, uh, <laughs> yes, it said that he was... I, th- I think that he knew L. Ron Hubbard, but he didn't work with him or something yeah. along those lines. But yes, but thank you for po- pointing that out. <laughs> I appreciate it's it. It's right there glaring at you. <laughs> so police were dispatched to 3605 Lowry Road in Los Feliz. And Los Feliz is this really great uh, uh, neighborhood. It's up in the hills. It's not qu- It's not really the Hollywood Hills, but it really is a lot of great uh, uh, houses. And this was a property known uh, it's sort of a compound, really, known as the Writer's Villa. And it was a 1927 Spanish-style mansion, had an automatic gate and a long driveway that you can go into. And police pulled up to the home, and they spotted a body of a man laying in the middle of the driveway, face up, lifeless. He was shirtless. He had shaggy blonde hair. As they approached, they could see that his left eye socket was caved in, and his skull was smashed uh, just the left of center. So they check his vitals. He's not alive. They go inside, and that scene is even more gruesome. They go through the first floor. The first floor is pretty pristine. Then they go to the second floor, and they have to step over this broken glass before entering this large bedroom in the uh, southwest corner where they find this rusty hammer with traces of blood on it. And they kind of follow this trail of destruction to this attached bathroom. And inside the bathroom in the shower they find a dead cat covered in blood, its skull bashed in. No. More cat trauma. Why? What, what is happening with this cat situation? It's, it's common. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's, maybe they're the devil. The cats. Yes. Oh, God. I'll throw a whole new twist in this case. <laughs> Continue. So across the hall was the master bedroom. And there was blood on the bed frame, on the wall, on the table, in the chair, and on the floor next to the bed was the body of an older woman. There was obvious blood force trauma to her head that the coroner officer, coroner's office wrote, quote, fractured her entire skull and obliterated the left side of her face, leaving her brain exposed. It continued that brain and tissue matter seen on the floor around her. Her face is covered in blood. Her nose is split down the middle and her upper jaw is split open. There were also four small puncture wounds on her left cheek, presumably from this mechanical pencil that they found right next to the body. The cause of death was ruled as blunt force trauma to the head, and they believed that she had been punched several times, then strangled. It was unclear whether the hammer that they had found in in the other room, whether that was used on her or if it was just used on the cat or if it wasn't even related because there was kind of dried blood on it. But the force of the beatings were so severe that the investigators believe that she may have actually also been stomped on. God. Okay, so there's all this carnage. The place is a disaster. But who is this guy laying in the driveway? So the man was identified as a 28-year-old actor, Johnny Lewis. The name might sound familiar to you, but if it doesn't, if you guys watch Sons of Anarchy, he was Kip Halfsack. Halfsack? Halfsack. Eps, and that was because his character only had one ball, correct? Yes. Yes. And if you were a fan of the OC, he was also Dennis Chili Childress back in the day. 
And a little fun fact, which I love, and I love especially a Katy Perry fun fact, is he dated her in the mid-2000s. So if you can Google image it, Google image them together, I'm sure that his face will look very familiar to you. I'm going to intercept with a Jack Vanek fun fact about <laughs> Katy Perry's... That I love telling. <laughs> Katy Perry's top eight on MySpace. Jack used to be on it. I did used to be on it. Jack used to be on Katy Perry's top eight in MySpace when MySpace was a thing. I also sang karaoke with her back in the day. Good old days. Good old days. Anyways, not back anymore. to the story. Okay, so the woman who was found murdered in the home was 81-year-old Kathy Davis, and she owned and ran what was referred to as the writer's villa where he was living, which was this compound for up-and-coming writers and actors to kind of like get their feet in Hollywood. Billy wrote something in his article that I thought was cool, where what? it was like a very distinct la arrangement yeah where that might sound really weird to everyone but you you find these houses with like lots of rooms being rented even if you have lots of money you find these weird little situations in la that you wouldn't have anywhere else because that does sound bizarre it's bizarre it almost sounds like a little culty in a sense it does but it's this it it just sounds weird and i think the fact that billy mentioned that because that's where I pulled that from, where it's like, it's distinctly LA. Like yeah. you hear those weird arrangements uh-huh. here a lot, but not other cities. Yeah. And you also think about LA of, of a young actor or a young actress getting off the bus and then having mm-hmm. some creepy guy come up to her and then, you know, everything <laughs> leads up and then they're, they wind up in, in porn. But this was different. <laughs> this was somebody that was very nurturing and it was a very uh, kind of communal place. And these people would go there and it was everybody from Val Kilmer Ooh. To Thomas Jane, to Adam Brody, I heard was there. Yeah, so there was a lot of people that would go to this writer's villa, and it wasn't just writers; it was actors as well. And it was very much a nur- nurturing was probably the best uh, word to describe it. She was a very nurturing person, and uh, Taylor Negron, who is the former comedian, uh, d- described her, and he was the. In Fast Times at Ridgemont High, he did a lot of other stuff. In Fast Times at Ridgemont High, he was the pizza guy. He's the one that delivers the pizza to Jess oh, Piccoli. Yeah. Uh, he was also played Julio in Easy Money, which is one of the best characters ever. But he uh, he said that she was a Sunset Magazine woman. You know, if you ever read Sunset Magazine, it's she very much you know. I and mean, she made great tamales too. That was another Ooh. thing that everybody talked about is these I'm great tamales pizza, that she made. Tamale, I'm starving. Same. Thanks for that. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Clearly, this is this interesting situation. So this amazing oasis at this home turned into this terror scene. And the police were there, obviously, processing the evidence, trying to figure out what had possibly been the catalyst for such a brutal, awful event. And they immediately deduced that it looked like the person who was in this driveway, Johnny Lewis, had probably killed Kathy and her cat and then had either accidentally fallen or intentionally jumped off the roof and was killed. So that was their working theory. But again, this is very preliminary. They didn't really know what had occurred. But of course, as things with celebrities do, it didn't take long for these details of this event to hit the tabloids. And headlines such as actor Johnny Lewis had killed his landlady, then fallen or jumped to his death, etc., was plastered all over the internet, TV, newspapers. It was everywhere. And we are going to play you some of those right now, because this is one of my favorite things to do on this podcast, is make audio news compilations. So enjoy. Johnny Lewis from the show Sons of Anarchy and the OC has been found dead in Los Angeles. 
we got a series of 911 calls. Neighbors called, said there's someone screaming. I hear glass breaking. Our officers rushed up there. Uh, by the time we got there, Mr. Lewis was already dead. Now to that shocking murder mystery out of Hollywood that ended up with uh, up-and-coming TV actor dead. Johnny Lewis starred in the show Sons of Anarchy, and officials say he went on a violent rampage, allegedly killing his landlady and then himself. Was a designer drug behind all of it? Johnny was on PCP or meth and allegedly attacked an 81-year-old lady who rented the apartment to the actor. It's a very gruesome scene. It's a very senseless crime. Someone that's just defenseless, someone that's in their late, late years, 70, 80 years of age. Eyewitnesses told police Lewis appeared to show superhuman strength. Lewis's wild behavior is consistent with the psychotic episodes that some people experience on these designer drugs. So how and why Johnny Lewis committed such an awful crime remains kind of elusive to this day. Um, No one really knows what happened because he's dead, so no one can really speak to the motive because there's no one to do so. But the immediate assumption, of course, was that he was on drugs. And the truth is much more complicated. When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program. And it's available on desktop or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally, first with words, then phrases, and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first-degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Stodd, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 
10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. Let's talk a little bit about the state of Johnny Lewis's life around the time this happened. He'd been a successful actor on multiple hit shows. He was a father. He was dating women like Katy Perry. How exactly do you go from being on top of the world to committing such a horrific act and ending your own life inadvertently or purposely, whatever your school of thought is? So to see where things went wrong, we got to go back to the beginning. And we're going back to the very, very, very beginning. Johnny Lewis was an Angelino native, which is kind of rare for this city. And to me, any like native Angelino that I meet is usually pretty level-headed. They usually like aren't jaded by Hollywood or all of the the bright lights and They've been bullshit. Yeah, they're just they usually grow up in it and you know, it's kind of normal. His parents were Michael and Devonna Lewis and they raised Johnny in a Jewish-oriented household in the LA Valley. But they also practiced Scientology, and his parents obtained what was the highest available level in Scientology, which was the operating Thetan. And, you know, we can do a little Scientology episode a little bit later. But a side note is, is that that's a very expensive level to reach. It is expensive. They have probably spent hundreds of thousands of dollars probably to reach their that house level. to do it. Absolutely. When he was a kid, his mom began taking him to auditions when he was six years old, and he was cast in his first role at... The mere age of seven. Child actor. Gotta love it. Woof. No child actors ever have issues either. Never. Never. And he worked in commercials and he landed roles on Seventh Heaven, Malcolm in the Middle, and Drake and Josh. Basically like every show that we all watched as a kid. So I'm sure you've seen him everywhere. And he was successful enough and financially independent enough to move out of his parents' house at 18. Interesting. Me and Jack moved to Hollywood at 18. Uh Uh-oh. And we lived in a house in Hollywood. We did. Ooh, this story has so many parallels. (laughs) So (laughs) many. Except for not at all. So I'm curious, Billy, I hijacked this this name for where people were were living in Hollywood, the Wilton Hilton. Where exactly was this? Because Jack and I lived right around there. Wait, is is that where he first moved when he lived in L.A.? Yes. Well, well, no, not in L.A. When he moved to Hollywood out from his parents when he was 18, he moved to the Wilton Hilton, quote-unquote, that I pulled from Billy's article. So it was where all these young Hollywood stars were living. It was like Adam Brody, Brett Harrison, Ashley Simpson. But anyways, so this is around the time that he started. He dabbled in this relationship with Katy Perry. And they didn't date very long. But there is a rumor that a couple of her songs were inspired kind of by her relationship with him. And that's the one that got away. And Circle the Drain. So his acting really took off when he landed his role on the O.C., and that's kind of when he became this kind of heartthrobby dude, where people were putting pictures of him on their walls, and he became this kind of handsome heartthrob situation. Wait, people were putting pictures of people on the walls in early 2000s still? Early 2000s? Yeah, I was in high school. I was doing that. You had posters of people on your walls? And who did you have? I have to ask I my mom. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. But yeah, I feel like kids still do that. Anyways, following his OC role, he acted in a bunch of shows that we've probably all watched, Bones, SI, and Criminal Minds. But... 
things really got good for him when he landed his kind of breakout role on Sons of Anarchy, which was a huge hit. Yeah. Uh, like Jack said, his character's name was Half Sack, and it was because he had lost a testicle while he was serving in Iraq. After two seasons at Half Sack, though, and he was a um, he was a probie. Uh, well, not a probie, but a uh, prospect. Probie he, is, he wanted to get patched in. Right. He wanted to get patched in. Probie is what you would use for a fireman, but he was a prospect. He wanted to get patched in. So he was like the new guy, the young guy, uh, the student, and... The noob. And he, after two seasons, and as the show was really starting to pick up and get really into the zeitgeist of America, he actually asked to be written out of the show. Which is insane. To, to think about how many people that we know and that, you, and that you have, Jack has run into or possibly dated oh, in your life, have, have, who have wanted to be on a show. I didn't want to be on anything successful. <laughs> actors who would die to be on a successful yeah. show. All of the struggling, non-working actors I've dated. Yeah. Who would kill to be half-sack apps. <laughs> who would kill to have a minor role in a TV show. Yeah. And uh, uh, he just, he walked away from it and he said... He told Kurt Sutter, who's the creative, he said he wasn't happy, and he said creatively wanted out of the contract. And, uh, you know, they gave him a fitting end. He was happy that they gave him sort of this heroic end because he was stabbed with a kitchen knife while trying to uh, save a baby of one of the, one of the uh, main characters. So it was very much a heroic ending to the character. And Sons of Anarchy, from that point on, really started getting big after that point. Uh, it was it was a huge show. It was a pretty massive success. And now we have a spinoff show on it right now, which is The Mayans. Uh, but Johnny decided that he, he wanted out. He said uh, because it was too gr- gratuitous violence and um, he just didn't want to be in that situation at all. And that's one of these sort of eerie ironies mm-hmm. uh, that we run into with this story. Yeah, to not like violence and on a on a biker gang show because it's supposed to be is it supposed to be uh, kind of like the Hell's Angels? What, what do they model it after? Yeah, I, remember, I didn't watch Sons of Anarchy. I, wa- I, I watched it, but I didn't finish. It's modeled is so hot. I meant to ask. <laughs> he is so hot. He's the hottest man I've ever seen in my life. Ever. He's like one of the highest paid actors in Hollywood now. Is he married? No. Is he single? Yes. <gasps> Hey, Charlie Hunnam. Oh, boy. Do you know what role he was supposed to be in, but he pulled out like three days before shooting? Yeah, Fifty Shades of Grey. Mm-hmm. Gross. Good thing. Yeah, it that wasn't a good song. him in a bad way for me. So, uh, you know, little did Johnny know that Sons of Anarchy would probably be his, would end up being his last TV show. Wait, when he was on it, was it before it ended up blowing up or, or was it kind it of... It was right before it ended up blowing up. So it, he, was, it was doing well. It was a cult hit at, at, when he was on it. But it wasn't like everybody knew about it. Like, when it really started blowing up was third, fourth season. Yeah. yeah. So we've talked about his role in Sons of Anarchy, and it is this role that brings us our first degree guest today. So Shauna Ruggirello was kind enough first to reach out to us with her first degree story. And it was this very serendipitous situation that I was reading aloud our first degree story submissions to Jacqueline and Billy. And Billy had a very subtle reaction, but like, oh, I wrote this casual thing for LA Magazine, (laughs) which ended up being the reason why. And Shauna is also charming. So we ended up doing it with her. But this is why it was such a great opportunity to showcase um, a case that Billy is very familiar with and also... You know, I think it's so fascinating that that Shauna has this connection on set with him because that's probably how most of the people will know him mm-hmm. is, is as as an actor. Now you're going to hear about how Shauna met Johnny Lewis. 
first degree connection is to Johnny Lewis of Sons of Anarchy fame. So my father worked on the show all seven seasons uh, from the very beginning. And the first couple of seasons, especially I was in college and I would come move back to L.A. in between years and would either do background work or hang out a lot on set with my dad. Johnny and I were the most similar in age. I was about 22, 23 at the time, and he wasn't much older than I. And so we could kind of relate on that level. In the second season, when we were out shooting uh, at an abandoned hospital, I remember it the most because that's when we really would sit down sort of in between scenes and really chat. And I remember sort of my dad kind of looking at me, not thrilled about it, but he had to work and I was 22 and didn't really care at the time. So we used to talk all the time. And I remember sort of my dad kind of looking at me and giving me this eye and I'm like, oh, you know, what's his deal? And it's, you know, to me, having been around actors and everything like that, it's like, yeah, actors are just weird. Even if there was anything, I don't distinctly remember any feelings of thinking he was weird, but you just sort of go like, yeah, yeah, but he's an actor. So of course he's weird. So when did you first hear that this had happened? I, you know, remember sort of seeing something flash on TMZ about Sons of Anarchy star something, something, something. And that piqued my interest and then, you know, began reading sort of about everything that happened. But, you know, at the time he was just this like really nice guy I had met on set and he was cute and that was about it. And so to sort of hear this like crazy violent story that he had done was pretty surprising at the time. And I remember reaching out to my dad kind of being like, Oh my God, what do you, what, like, did you think this was going to happen? What did you, you know, what have you heard? And he just sort of insinuated that it, it wasn't that surprising to him, which part of it, I'm not sure, but it just, what it maybe out of, maybe if it had been someone else, he would have been a little more surprised. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. So what exactly did you hear? Were there any rumors about what could have caused it? I mean, you were kind of in the inner circle there with your dad having known him for so many seasons. And were you kind of picking up little bits and pieces of what could have been the reason kind of before it all hit the media? So I had heard, I didn't know when he left, we didn't talk about it. It was just sort of just a thing that happens. But I had read that he left because the show was getting too violent. To me, I mean, yes, it's a little bit ironic, but I also think it's kind of a little bit of a BS excuse. I don't, I mean, maybe that's what he thought or what he wanted to think, but it's, you signed up for a biker drama on FX. And if you expect that it's not going to be violent, that's a little naive to me. 
Um, obviously, the show did actually progressively get more violent over the seasons, but you just sort of expect it's a biker gang and they whatever you've heard about the Hells Angels and people like that, you know, that violence often follows them. So it's ironic, but it also just kind of seemed like a silly thing to say to me. This is not real life. It's acting. And if, if you're that sensitive to fake violence, then that it, that's just a don't whole nother Don't join a biker then don't TV join a, show. But yeah, that you know people are going to be killing each other left and right. So what did he actually want to pursue then if he didn't want to be an actor? So he left Sons of Anarchy because he wanted to pursue writing because he considered himself an artist. He loved to write poems, screenplays, and he was writing two novels. He had enough money from Sons of Anarchy to live off of it while he was writing his first novel, which was about a young musical genius making his way in San Francisco. And it almost sounds like you could sing that Vanessa Carlton song to that. I almost did that. Making my way downtown. downtown. Walking fast. (laughs) Faces passing. I'm homebound. So funny. Same Same brain. Same. It was around this time that Johnny first hears of the writer's villa. And he heard about it through a photographer who was taking his headshots back when I think he was still trying to be an actor. And he was super intrigued about it. So he contacted the woman who ran the villa, whose name was Kathy Davis, and he moved into the red suite on the second floor, which sounds super freaking fancy. And he immediately took the place and to Kathy. So let's talk about the villa. It, you know, it was a mansion, really. Yeah, exposed wood beams, rustic antique furniture, warm red yellow cream colors in the centerpiece of the house was this staircase which had these ceramic tiles and it led to the five guest rooms with these majestic views of the san gabriel mountains and kathy was this house mother you know if a pitch or audition went poorly she was there with open arms and her homemade tamales and this house was really a um it was a it was a refuge And in the middle of how crazy Hollywood can be, and one of the reasons probably why actors uh, become crazy, um, it's a pretty soul-crushing place. Having a place like this to come back to was important for people. So Thomas Jane, who was on HBO's Hung, lived there. And he told me that he lived there after a bad breakup, and he kind of went there, uh, what he said was, to lick his wounds. Val Kilmer, Parker Posey, Paula Poundstone, Chris Parnell, from, uh, who went on to go to Saturday Night Live, they all lived in the villa as they were on the rise. And Kathy was this lively woman with short gray hair. She worked in publishing originally, but then she went on for this career, to this uh, career in real estate. And she was from Texas. She moved out to California in 1950. She went to UCLA. She married a man named James Davis. They had a baby girl in 1958. And uh, her husband and her purchased this this great house in Los Feliz. But by 1980, she was divorced, and her daughter, who's the writer named Margaret Leslie Davis, was grown up. And I guess she started thinking, you know, her real estate clients, as they were house hunting, kind of spawned this bed and breakfast idea. So, and her daughter was a writer, so she kind of knew how to facilitate this proper environment on how to churn out a you know a, a successful creative person and i think that the writer's villa was a and an outcropping of that of of having birthed a writer and raised a writer and saying you know what i want to i want to keep doing this even as she's gone so that's what she did so johnny moves into this place and it's a wonderful environment for him and he seemed to really enjoy it but he didn't stay that long he only stayed for a couple of months And that's because he found out that his new girlfriend, whose name is now 
Diane Marshall-Green was pregnant. Dun, dun, dun. And Johnny apparently was thrilled at the time, and she gave birth to a girl, Colome. 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 It's a really pretty name. Colome. And I Googled Diane, and I want to know who Diane Marshall-Green was now married to. Yeah. And it's another actor on the OC. Oh, I know. After I read your notes, I went down a, just a whole hole of looking at all that shit. Because I, how do you date two act? How do you get pregnant by one and marry another one? It's so weird. She like, did a, she, was she an OC super fan? A groupie I don't know. of she, sorts? I looked at her IMDb. She wasn't on the OC. Was she an actress? She's an actress, but she's mm-hmm. never, unless IMDb, I mean, only, I'm only going by what IMDb says. She's never been on more than one episode of of a hit show she oh, she so has she like just says like one episode at a yeah. time you know she'll have like a a, a random role yeah but i thought that was really interesting i'm like good for you girl whatever so the guy diane married is named trey atwood then no that's his character on the oc well right oh that's what i meant <laughs> he, he played trey atwood okay so anyways back to the story they found out they were pregnant they broke up but even though they broke up they decided to live together and raise their child together which sounds like it's really gonna work yeah that's gonna work out but i get the idyllic like we can do this. I get it. We're going to co-parent. We're not going to be together. We won't we're going to live in the jealous. same house. We can live in this. We we're not going to fight. Totally. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, and then that so crashed and burned. That crashed and burned, of course. And then he found himself, of course, in a, in a custody battle once his daughter was born. So after this is when we approach an event that, at least for our purposes, we consider to be kind of a turning point in this story. Mm-hmm. Where until now, he's been at kind of a crescendo. Like he's he's at... He's escalating in terms of his success. He's a father. His his relationship didn't work out, but that's pretty common. I mean, yeah, and he's still he's writing. He he had been in other movies too. He'd been in a couple indie movies, and he was working exactly. So he's just on the up and up. He's on an upswing, and this event kind of acts as like the lamppost to his decline and kind of his path down into destruction. So he ends up getting in. Something that's really common for people who ride motorcycles is an accident. Mm -hmm. So it's common, but fascinating, mostly because of this drastic change that followed his accident. But in October of 2011, he lost control of his Triumph motorcycle near 29 Palms. And he was fine, but he went to the hospital and he was checked for signs of a concussion. But he was basically okay, and he was allowed to leave after tests came back negative. Interestingly... This is when weird things in his behavior started to kind of become apparent. His family noticed that he was acting sort of erratically and just doing bizarre things that were out of character for him. And they were kind of wondering if the accident had shaken something loose in his brain. And Johnny's father was very concerned and he scheduled a couple MRIs for his son, but Johnny refused to go. And who knows? Is this because he's this kind of hippy dippy guy. Is it because of the Scientology? We don't, why he would refuse. No, we don't know. Who knows? But it wasn't just his family that noticed these changes in his behavior. In an acting class following the accident, people noticed that he was speaking in a British accent for no reason. It's odd. That and is more, odd. more strange behaviors followed. So Johnny's been in this accident, his behavior shifting. Then there's another point where the behavior shifts from curious and bizarre too concerning and then it takes a drastically dangerous 
turn. And it all started when he was hanging out in his Northridge condo that he had bought for his parents when his mom was making breakfast. He was wearing pajamas and decided to go out for a walk, as one does, I guess, in the morning. So Johnny's wearing, in my mind, these plaid pajama pants. (laughs) (laughs) And... He walked by one of his neighbor's house and he thought that he heard cries of distress. So he broke in and the place was empty, which is just odd in itself. And not long after that, two men arrived and asked him to leave. But instead of leaving, Johnny went after them with a Perrier bottle and struck each one on their heads. Do we know if he broke the bottle? Do we know if he brought it with him? I don't think he broke the bottle. Yeah, I don't think he broke the bottle. and I don't think he brought it with him either. And he was just... It was very quick, too. His father had said that you know, they were in the middle of, you know, in between breakfast, kind of w- waiting for breakfast yeah. to be done. And he just said, I'm going to go for a walk. It was just like, OK, yeah, this is uh, this was um, New Year's. It's right on New Year's. So, OK, you're going to go for a walk and walk he, off that turkey. You know, he claims he he Except hears something. He hears uh, he hears something of distress. I think he said it might have been a dog. And he walked into this house, and then this the, these two guys saw him. They're like, what are you doing in this house? He gets into the fight with them, strikes him with the Perrier bottle. They get into this fight. It spills out onto the patio. He apparently bites one of the men on the arm. And Jesus. he eventually is overpowered because he's kind of a slight guy. So they, they overpower him, and the police arrive. And he claims he was acting in self-defense. So do we know if these guys were like aggressive towards him or anything like for a reason for him to be defending himself no he had broken into their house oh it was their house it was their house i thought there were other passerbys no 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 no. oh it was their house and he walked into their house and then they're like what are you doing here dude and then a fight started all because of a Perrier bottle. But for someone who's never exhibited any sort of be- erratic behavior, this seems a pretty crazy. It's yeah. a pretty drastic shift. Yeah. So the police charged him with trespassing, burglary, and assault with a deadly weapon, and he was sent to the Twin Towers jail. So because of the behavior that he exhibited in jail, they placed him under a 5150, which is a code for involuntary confinement, and he remained there for 72 hours. He has this eight-day jail stint. Following the assault with the deadly weapon charge and the weeks that following this was was a blur and even more violence and self-destruction were coming. He slashes his wrists in an apparent suicide attempt, but he survives. And afterwards, his family keeps a close eye on him and he eventually kind of seemed more stable. And his father decided to let him live on his own in Santa Monica. And then trouble starts immediately. He goes to this yogurt shop in santa monica and he just cold cocks a guy right out in the front what is cold cocking it's just just sucker sucker punch punch. oh yeah jesus Mm -hmm. yeah then a frozen is it a a, frozen yogurt yes it's a frozen yogurt place and that is a why if it was if it was a greek yogurt place you'd be okay with that it's like oh that's no if it was just love yogurt go greek it would be just absolutely atrocious because that's the best yogurt i've ever had it is really good in santa monica there also i guess are no like yogurt you're not gonna go and get like a a yogurt from somewhere. No, it has to be frozen. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> for the grocery store and get a yo play. <laughs> it's not like a romantic date. The yogurt store. Die. Give myself. A... <laughs> Anyways. So days later, he's he walks fully clothed into the ocean in Santa Monica, and he's hospitalized for hypothermia. Jeez. And then a few weeks after that, he's arrested again for trying to break into this woman's apartment in Santa Monica, who he said he thought it was his friend's place. And again, he's released on bail. So here's a guy that has had no issues with law 
and starts on January 1st with breaking into this house and getting into the fight with the Perrier bottle. And then it just starts escalating. And it's just this incredibly strange behavior. And where is it coming from? Right. And then now he's in a bunch of legal trouble and his condition seems to be worsening, according to the people around him. His friends described him to be scattered. He was going between basic lucid conversation and incoherence. Again, like Alexa said, he was like kind of speaking in a vague British accent, Mm -hmm. which is really odd. Um, And... With all these legal matters that are going on in court, Johnny's lawyer was working to persuade the courts to allow him to swap jail time to stay in a treatment center. But he didn't appear to have a substance abuse problem. Most of Johnny's friends described him as, quote unquote, intoxicating, not intoxicated. And he was more likely to drink tea and play chess until three in the morning than slam shots or pop pills. So according to everybody around him, he just wasn't a big partier or a drug user. So if it wasn't drugs or alcohol, what the hell is going on? Obviously, a lot of this is rumors, but, you know, there had been sort of a little bit of talk about maybe things that had happened when he was younger or prior to, you know, when high school and things like that. And so I wasn't on set every day. And I think when you spend 14 plus hours a day around somebody, you sort of can see things that maybe just the casual observer like me wouldn't be able to. And I don't think he did anything that you'd go yeah, that was like a crazy thing to do. And he like screamed into a paper bag and ran around type of thing. But I think there might have been maybe little things he said here and there, little behaviors he would do here and there that, again, sort of to me, it's like, yeah, well, he's an actor. Actors are weird. But to someone like my dad, who spends a lot of time around them, maybe it seemed a little more weird than the usual. I have to say... That Shauna's description of Johnny and like his weirdness and kind of just like attributing it to him just being an actor is the most accurate thing I've ever heard in my entire life. No, actors are crazy. Actors are weird. Wait, and it, tell me about the thing with the crazy actor situation you had. Which one? Oh, the forty-year-old cocaine, and then yeah, I went on a first date with a well-known, a pretty well-known actor who was in his forties. And on our first date, within 15 minutes of going out with him, he was doing lines of blow. He took an edible. He was taking shots of vodka and he was taking pills. And he was just like, well, here I go. I'm like, this is not what a normal person does, bro. Like, what the f***? They don't do normal shit. Like she said, she's just like, okay, well, you know, he's an actor. They're all weird. So you just chalk anything up to like somebody's weird behavior as them being an actor. And that makes it okay. Based on everything we've heard and kind of the trail of destruction in Johnny Lewis's wake, there is something wrong. And nobody really knows what it is at this point. And I want to be clear here also that in terms of everything I've researched and read, Johnny Lewis seemed to really have an incredible support system. His father seemed to be his biggest advocate, took him to doctors, rehabs, got him medication, tried to get him MRIs. Johnny refused a lot of these efforts. And he went to rehab and had all these resources at his disposal, but nobody could really pinpoint what was wrong with him, which was, I think, one of the big parts of this, of the problem here. And he was prescribed a lot of medication for bipolar disorder, Abilify, Zyprexa, and he resisted taking all the medication. And even when he said he was taking it, he was often according to people who were around him, cheeked the pills and hid them inside his mouth, pretended to swallow, but actually spit them out. So doctors were really stumped in terms of a clear diagnosis. 
Was he bipolar, psychotic? Was he suffering from a traumatic brain injury, which I think is really possible just based on what we know so far, but he hadn't been diagnosed or treated with any severe head trauma injuries and the symptoms he experienced following the motorcycle accident, which were simply headaches and sensitivity to light were only indicative of a mild injury. So he was tested for a concussion, right? When right after he got the accident and it came back negative. That's what they said. Yeah. Is there like an, like, can you make an error with that test? Yeah. You know, who knows how, how deep they got into it. Yeah. And when I, the father had done, had been reached out by a lot of people, Dr. Phil, all these people, he refused to talk. And I had saw on Johnny's, I believe it was his IMDB page, a comment from his father and his father had made it on Christmas Eve explaining about that. He thinks this is what happened. And I could just tell, obviously, this guy made it on Christmas Eve. He's, he, it's his only son. And, and I was just thinking, this guy's hurting. So yeah. I reached out to him, and it took a while to get his, his trust. But he said, I will talk to you if you mention the, the brain injury part. And I said, well, I can't, uh, you know, I have to make sure that's true, and I have to check that. I'm not going to guarantee that I'm going to mention that. But as we talked in and I did the reporting, it it seemed like this could be a part of the story. Well, yes, he, he had the motorcycle accident. He was beaten in the head during the Northridge break-in with the Perrier bottle. Then during his suicide attempt in jail, he beat his own head against the concrete and then tried to leap from a second story pier. I mean, he had head trauma. Yeah. Even if it was like a small minor concussion from the accident, the fact that he's just like, beating it to and that's his own head to know. death after. We don't know yeah. what he did alone. Yeah, we don't know what was going on alone when he was in the place in Santa Monica by himself. Uh, we do know, and by the way, when he was on that second story pier in, in, in jail, he was doing, you know, he was like reciting Shakespeare up there. Yeah, I mean, something is wrong. And that's the thing. It's like, it's either mental illness, it's an injury... And if you take a look, and we can post, we'll post this uh, on social, his journals and his journal entries, and you see his journal entries before the head injuries and, and after the head injuries, and there's something up. Is this writing? Oh, yeah. Oh, really? His, his writing gets really different. Oh, interesting. So this brings us kind of to one of the main themes that we want to just touch on in this episode, and that's um, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is... A brain injury that most pro athletes suffer from. And it's when you get constant blows to the head, you end up suffering from this disease. The problem is, is that you can only diagnose it post-mortem. So only an autopsy. Yes. Which is a huge problem. So for example, Aaron Hernandez. So his lawyer was trying over and over to make this part of his defense when they were prosecuting him. And not until his suicide were they able to, after an autopsy, determine that he had, in fact, he had this, he had CTE from this reported over and over these blows to the head that he was suffering probably his whole career in football. And I mean, it's a very crazy, slippery slope can of worms, though, because in my opinion, and Billy and I were talking about this a little bit earlier, if you make CTE a viable defense, then when does it end? Because so uh, Boston University did a study where 111 brains of NFL players were donated by their families for analysis. Oh, wow. 111 
only one didn't have CTE. Really? So generally speaking, most football players are going to have this. This is just, this is part of it. So the problem is, is that how do you determine when CTE starts and the bad person begins Mm -hmm. and what's to blame? Because obviously these 111 athletes didn't kill people, but like we know, Chris Benoit, who was a, a pro wrestler, did. Uh, and pe- a lot of people said that is the reason. Junior Seau, Hall of Fame linebacker, had CTE. He killed himself. When you look at those brain scans and you see how, you know, the normal brain versus the CTE brain and the repetitive nature of it. And it's usually when it comes to the and you look at, by the way, look at professional wrestlers and it's littered with suicides and murders and overdoses. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'll never see another kind of group of people that have had so many deaths uh, with, with, of superstars uh, than you will with that. But, you know, you usually see it in r- running backs, linebackers. You see it in the people that have to run really fast and then they crash into somebody. Yeah. You know, you're seeing it a little bit less in the linemen, the big guys in the front. What I'd be really curious to know is how many people with CTE that are diagnosed in autopsy are violent or, or have kind of a, an outlier, uh, death, like suicide, like you said, yeah. suicide overdose, where it's like they were on this normal path and then ended up diverting into some chasm, which was so uncharacteristic of them. I mean, I'm glad we got into that CTE conversation yeah. because for it's important. me, after learning this case, I think it's a real viable possibility that this, this traumatic brain injury I mean, he, he literally snapped, and there is no other explanation for it. There's something weird, and also we're going to get into something about uh, some other symptoms that he had, which we'll talk about in a little bit, that point to that this was some sort of a brain injury. Exactly. So where we left off was his lawyer was fighting for him to go to rehab instead of jail, even though he didn't have an addiction. It was more just like, Johnny is a gentle soul. He doesn't belong in jail. I mean, these are one-off situations he should be in rehab so yeah he spends two months in lockup and then he's moved to this ridgeview ranch in altadena it's one of those rehab centers where you have activities that equine therapy so you can hang out with the horses it's like a celeb rehab center right yeah kind of yeah you know like a, like a bougie rehab Adult summer camp you yeah. know yoga meditation art therapy and Ridgeview calls itself a dual diagnosis facility. So they treat residents with psychosis and also substance abuse. And clearly, if you're hanging out with horses and doing yoga and doing art, it's a lot better than jail. He he ends up in rehab, but he really wasn't an addict. And the employees at the rehab were kind of looking at him like, what are you being here with this? You don't really have an addiction. So first he claims he's addicted to marijuana. Which is, you can't be. <laughs> Uh, but uh, it wasn't flying, you know, with the train counselors and the fellow addicts, you know, he's sitting there with, you know, addicts, with people that are addicted to opioids and right. addicted to heroin and, and it, that's not flying. So then he's, he claims that he's addicted to alcohol and he's like that demon rum, man, it possessed me. And that was actually a quote. <laughs> uh, at that point, he, he said they started to believe him. And it's like, okay, fine. You're addicted to alcohol. So, you know, despite this questionable diagnosis and this treatment for a disease that he doesn't really believe he has, his mental state starts getting better. 
and he's in this he's in a place that no matter if he's lying or not i mean he's in a place where they're doing a lot of therapy and art therapy and horses and yoga and all this stuff I think happiness like makes people better yeah. i think just general stress reduction really can help yeah i do too i want to go there i really could use that let's right go now. so during this time he was facing like some serious jail time for the perrier uh northridge bashing people on the skull incident and his lawyer was trying to get him out of it. And Johnny would spend an entire year at Ridgeview instead of jail if he could. But he was so confident that his case would be dropped because it was self-defense that he fired his lawyer and he acted as his own attorney. And Ted Bundy did this, didn't he? A lot of people have done this. The girl, the guy in the Gone Girl case is doing it. It's insane. It has yeah, it which is worked? awful, too, because he might actually cross, have to cross-examine cross her. Oh, God. Yeah. Yes. In our first degree face. How is group, that even a thing? How is that legal? It's it legal. Is, you can do that. You know, one, of, one, of the worst, one of the worst things with that was Colin Ferguson from the, the Long Island uh, Railroad shooter. He acted as his own attorney, and he cross-examined that son of a bitch, cross-examined the, the survivors of the shooting. So he had gone there and killed their loved ones or whatever, and then he is acting as his own lawyer, oh, talking gibberish. <sighs> but anyways, back to our story. Anyways, back to Johnny. So he figured he was acting as his lawyer because he figured that the worst thing that could happen is he would spend a few days in jail and he would resume his normal life so because he was so confident that he could get away with get out of this he uh figured that the worst that could happen is he would spend a few days in jail but unsurprisingly the plan backfired and he was sentenced to a year in jail but because of the county's overcrowded jails he only spent six weeks before being released and this is when his father contra- contacted the writer's villa to see if there was space available because if he, if he was not going to return to ridgeview his dad believed that it would be like a nice calming setting for him to live in right it was like the the rehab version in Hollywood. Right. It's like this beautiful, like, serene, tranquil place. You have a mother figure kind of there exactly. taking care of you. So I have a question. So knowing what we know is going to come, do we think it was wrong for Johnny's father not to inform Miss Kathy about the problems his son was having? Because he does move back into the writer's villa. Right. Immediately. Right. So, and he said later... Billy, probably from your article, I learned this. I'm not sure. It was because I remember reading this. It's later that he just didn't, he, it was, he was comfortable there. It was somewhere he felt safe and he just didn't think his son would have any problems. He yeah. just thought it would be like a good place for a right, son to be. But do, do you think it was wrong for him not to say like he's been erratic and violent and keeps getting arrested? I mean, it's, yeah, because she wouldn't have done a background check. No, Again, she knew him. because she knew, she knew him. Yeah, she was familiar with him. <sighs> Hindsight is always going to be twenty twenty. I think he was thinking this is somebody that he trusts. It's almost not necessarily part of the family. He's they only weren't that close. Strangers this far, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But uh, you know, sure. You know, he, he should have, if anything, to say he's been having a rough time for his own, you know, well being. Uh, he probably should have said something to keep an eye on him or whatever. Are you okay with this? Because it wasn't just one thing. It was like a string of things that kept escalating. So I would be a little bit. And obviously you've been through, you know, six weeks in County is rough, but there's two sides to it. Cause maybe, maybe Johnny Lewis was sitting there saying, I'm so excited to go back. I know I'm going to be, I know I'm going to be just like on the up and up. I love Miss Kathy. Like I feel safe there. So perhaps the father just has, the father also saw him 
right before he committed some of these acts, like right before the Northridge attack with the with the Perrier bottle, like he's been around when these things were happening, and perhaps he didn't ex- pick up on anything that he did before with with his kind of mental. And he just spent a mu- a year at Ridgeview. Well, and I feel like, and I don't know, if not, not a year, but he spent a, a significant a, a, amount of time a, at Ridgeview, a bunch of months at, at Ridgeview. Yeah, yeah, so it's like he probably just was ready. Well, and his father seemed like he was really trying to help him. So I feel like it wasn't one of those things where it was like, I'm just going to pretend this isn't happening and he's going to go live at this place and it'll be fine. Like he seemed to be the one that was like very proactive and trying to get him help and stuff. Of course. And his father was really engaged and he called him the day after he moved in. No, his father was definitely engaged. He really was. So he moves in. Whether or not it's right for Johnny's dad to tell... Miss Kathy, that he's having issues or not is up for debate. We'll never know the real circumstances that influence that decision because we weren't there. And so we're not judging. Right. Uh, I have total empathy because his dad seemed to really try his best. Right. But so he did return, though, after three years. So he was back. He was returning after three years. He was now 28. And just to recap, there has been a lot of stuff that has changed since the first time that he was there. He had quit Sons of Anarchy. He became a father. He was in a serious motorcycle accident. He had a painful custody battle and many arrests and a lot of erotic behavior. Um, He was bouncing in and out of jail, psychiatric wards and rehab. And he also attempted suicide. So it's it's been a lot. So he moved into the second floor of the villa into his old room that he originally was staying at in there. And the day after he moved in, his dad called him to check up on him. And he answered the phone super agitated and just said, what do you want? I'm busy. And that was the end of their conversation. And it was the last time that his dad ever talked to them. Right. And I guess I read that after that conversation, they kind of regain normalcy where he's like, sorry, dad, I'll talk to you soon. It's fine. So the dad didn't have any reason to worry. Yeah. and these kind of interactions were kind of becoming sort of normal. It's yeah, like he, he was, was just irritable. Kind of all over the place. Yeah, he was erratic. And I think probably his family just got used to this. But so we followed Johnny Lewis's movements in the years leading up to the morning of the horrific event that we noted in the beginning of the episode. And on the morning it happened, a very odd thing happened at a neighboring house. And... Billy spoke with the neighbor who experienced Johnny Lewis firsthand in this sort of, I think he was under psychosis, in a state of psychosis as he was on this rampage. I don't think we really exactly know at what point yeah. in this. In we, this we, we don't know. In this like kind of four, four hour. I think it might, I think it might've been in the middle, but it's, it's tough to when, say. We don't know when no. Miss Kathy and the cat died, but at least we know that we know the moments leading up to Johnny Lewis's death. And Billy is going to recount those for us. So David Blackburn, who is an old uh, newsman, he meets, he answers the door and Johnny Lewis is there. He's like sort of sweaty and shirtless and he knocks on the door and he introduces himself. He's like, hi, I'm, I'm Johnny. I'm your new neighbor. And uh, he says, okay, fine. How you doing? It's great. And 30 minutes after meeting Johnny, he goes about his business. David does. And then he hears his wife, Gloria, calling for him. And he goes outside and he sees Johnny on top of the house painter because he had a painter that was uh, that was working on his house. And Johnny's just pummeling him with his fists and the worker's face is covered in blood. And Blackburn steps in. He pulls, you know, and Lewis was a slight guy. He was, he was 5'10". He was skinny. 
He pulls Lewis off the painter and grabs him by the shoulder and just yells at him, stop. And in one motion, Lewis leaps to his feet and just punches Blackburn right in the face. And Blackburn's in his 70s. He gets hit in the eye and he gets knocked to the ground. And Lewis's expression was not one of sort of rage or anger. It was just kind of flat. His gaze was distant. But Blackburn, like dead inside. yeah, Blackburn said he had this, he seemed to have the superhuman strength and Blackburn got up and landed a punch on Lewis's temple and he didn't flinch, did nothing to Lewis To not at feel all. pain, you have to be, psychosis, he's in a state that he's not feeling pain, he's not feeling empathy for others and he's described as a sensitive guy. So yeah. this is a very curious encounter so blackburn then picks up a chair and hits him with the chair and that stuns johnny enough that blackburn his wife and the painter all go escape they escape into the house so they run into the house and then they go to shut the front door but lewis has his arm stuck through the opening of the front door and it starts playing out like a horror movie that reminds me of of the shining like and here's Johnny moment, but it's not. It's almost like I, I saw it as a zombie type of thing, where that the arm is in there and Without they can't pain. close it. And they can't close it. They're trying pain. and they're putting. I mean, three adults are putting their full weight on the door, and they they go once, twice, three, and then four times. Finally, they push and the arm slithers away, and the group kind of is relieved. They settle down. They relieved. They barricade themselves in and they call the police. What and then, horrific! Wait, pause for what a horrific thing to experience. I mean, they're in the placid, serene hills of Los Feliz, which is the correct way to say it. In LA, people say Los Feliz now, but it's Los Feliz. Anyways, so I don't agree with that. By the way, I think it's Los Feliz. Ask anyone who speaks Spanish. But so they're living up in the hills. It's this beautiful environment with all these tr- trees, and then you've got this guy just attacking you. In Los Feliz, I know. In Los Feliz, it's unbelievable. So from the window, Blackburn sees Lewis jump over this. There was a waist-high fence around the deck. So he, he had a deck there. And he, he jumps over this waist-high fence around the deck and then pounces on this wooden fence that's surrounding the Riders Villa next door. But his feet never touch the ground. And so then he scales the fence and disappears over the villa, or into the villa, and... Blackburn, I remember him telling me that he said he was like a low-key Spider-Man. So he wasn't doing it really super fast, but he was like kind of jumping from one he was springing. one fence to another fence and then jumped over it. And then he, then he was gone. And they call the police and the police come and that's when they make that uh, the discovery. So they believe that the investigators believe that just minutes after he had introduced himself to Blackburn... Lewis went back to the villa and confronted Davis in her room. I mean, initially it sounded like drugs because it's the year of the, the summer of the bath. bath yes, the, 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 sum- the summer of bath, bath salts. salts. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, you you kind of see the same stories. You see this guy at the top of his career and he's on this huge show and he leaves and then he's trying to do indie movies or plays and they're sort of not going well and he's sort of had a motorcycle accident and is you know kind of losing his footing and so you 
the sort of natural progression is, oh, well, he's probably either bath salts are just doing whatever or he's taking too much medication, pill, anything like that. You just sort of and especially for the behavior, what happened during the crime that sort of just was like and, you know, A plus B equals while he was on drugs. So. So no one knows what fueled his rage and. You know, everybody was saying it was bath salts or it was some sort of drugs. I learned from Taylor Negron, who has since passed away, that he had gone and turned off all of the electricity at the fuse box the night before. And David Davis had confronted him and gave him like a really stern warning, like, don't you ever do that again. Maybe that was it. The first thing when you hear that, when I heard that, and this had, this had never been said before about the lights thing. You went back to the father talking about the head injury mm-hmm. and Johnny, there were stories about Johnny just staying in a room with a single candle and not liking the light and uh, just being very, very sensitive to the light, which is one of the earmarks of, ha- of having had a concussion. Is it? Is yeah. it a CTE thing or a concussion thing? Oh, it's definitely a concussion thing. I don't know about CTE, but when I heard that... <laughs> You always try to make things make sense to you. Make order out of chaos. And you make order out of chaos. Very rarely, and I think that's why they're so surprising to us, is when it's a celebrity who does something just sort of really out of the norm. And so I think that's why OJ was so interesting. And I think that's why Johnny is so interesting because it's not the sort of typical, oh, you know, he just did something kind of celebrity way of someone didn't say no to him and off he goes it was it's just so frenetic and anxious and wild and seemingly doesn't make any sense the signs weren't there and so here we are sort of again for the umpteenth time saying like well i had no idea he would do anything like that but he did i think that's something that's part of what is so intriguing especially about these sort of celebrity murders especially when they're so violent like this as opposed to like yeah, got behind the wheel and crashed their car, sort of, again, that kind of Aaron Hernandez thing. But you like look at these people and you just go, you have money, you have fame, you have – people know your name. You get special treatment everywhere you go. You get to do things that your average person doesn't get to do and yet here you are doing something so vicious. And it's like, well, why? After Johnny's death was reported – his actor friends came out in droves to offer condolences and really express shock as to what happened because they all said this totally defied his nature. The one person who wasn't shocked was the creator of Sons of Anarchy, Kurt Sutter. And he essentially said that he wasn't shocked by the events and he expressed that on Twitter. Here's the thing with that, though. And I feel like this always comes out with like cases like this that everybody is like so shocked and like would never expect it. Do you think people are just afraid to say that they weren't shocked? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Kurt, I mean Kurt's definitely a guy that that doesn't hold back. Yeah, you know, he just he's, like tells he, like he tells it like it is. And for him to say he wouldn't speak to me for the article, but you know, him saying I wish I could say that I was shocked by the events last night, but I was not. That's pretty. Ballsy. Ballsy. It's pretty dry and cold. Especially with like a a murder. It's a little cold. It is. I mean, it'd be one thing if it's like he took his own life and that was it, but there was... I would be so curious to know what, why that... Why he thought that. Yes. Yeah. And I was hoping Shauna would know, but 
She didn't. But what Shauna does know is her own insight and reaction to what happened. So let's listen to that now. I think to me, you hear the story all the time. I could never believe they could do it. I just, I can't say they were so nice to me. They were insert all these sort of good things here. And to me, sort of having a closer relationship to something like that really just proves that anybody is truly capable of anything and that we can all sit here till we're blue in the face and just clutch our pearls and say how surprised we were. But at the same time, it's like, but anybody is capable of anything. And I think that's what sort of having, because you always hear that and you're like, yeah, yeah, of course you didn't believe it. But now sort of looking back on it going, but he was so nice. He was so friendly. You know, he really engaged you. He'd look you in the eye when he spoke to you, kind of made you feel like you were the only person in the room type of thing. And you just go, and then you look at what he did and it's like, well, that, I think that proves it even more that just anybody is truly capable of doing anything and that it just would take the right circumstances for it to be any of, even any of us in this room. We all want to sit here and say to ourselves, like, I would never. And it's like, of course you wouldn't, but possibly in different circumstances you could. Everyone needed an explanation for how and why this happened. And people had a really hard time accepting that someone would, could be flying really high in their life, their career, and fall from grace so painfully. So, of course, the media churned out reports suggesting that drugs were to blame for the episode that resulted in Kathy Davis's murder and Johnny's death and the death of her cat. The YouTube videos that I was trying to look up for like any information about him everything was just about drugs yeah. that's all it was it was drugs it was bath salts there was smiles is that what it was mm-hmm. some yep. other kind of similar thing synthetic synthetic designer drug right. and i mean it goes into just like the whole thing like it was bath salts were popular and they're just gonna like connect a story to it because it kind of made sense because like what other explanation was there because people had so he didn't have a criminal record other than the recent year of it, you know, they didn't know. It's not like he's a violent guy. Just like fit into that narrative. And that summer, like we said before, was the summer of bath salts. Summer of bath salts. Because that's when the can- the cannibal bath salt guy, who yep. was a 31-year-old guy in Florida, who was caught eating the face of another man. And obviously that was the biggest story. And everybody mm-hmm. was freaking out about these bath salts. This guy who seemed to have everything going this crazy, everybody went to bath salts. People really wanted to know. So the only thing that could really determine whether or not drugs were involved was, of course, the autopsy. And as Billy mentioned earlier, it takes a few, it takes like three months sometimes to get these toxicity reports back. So if you do think that drugs were in a system, you'd be wrong. He was completely sober. He didn't have alcohol, drugs in his system, no bath salts, no meth, no cocaine, Not even his prescribed medication, his antipsychotic medication. Were you surprised that he wasn't on drugs? I don't know if surprised was the right word. I think it sort of then went, well, then what was it? So if it wasn't drugs, and I know we've mused about the possibilities, we'll never really know. But what do we think it was? Once this happened, I started sort of looking up more backstory. And I think, you know, there's obviously sort of the psychological angle of Scientology and how they disagree with most psychology and things like that. But to me, 
what I think is more of a possibility is that maybe there were things when he was younger that were overlooked because of religious leanings, which I believe would apply to any religion, not just Scientology. And that it's whether or not it was ever like, no, no, you can't take pills. You're not crazy. You just need to go to get your meter read or whatever, because at their core, they don't believe in it. You wouldn't see the signs of and go, oh, hey, maybe we should like totally get this kid some help. The Church of Scientology really resists psychiatric drugs, psychiatric therapy. So they were kind of placing blame on the father, saying that perhaps he had hindered his son from seeking help. But he actually, I mean, I know we've said that he was like an op- a fate and the highest level, whatever, but he abandoned that part of it for his son because no. he, was he was helping him was like constantly bringing him into the doctor oh, and wanting yes. him to helping get him get MRI. MRIs medication check like so checking him into ha- rehab i don't want this to be like a, a witch hunt on scientology because his father as committed as he was knew his priorities and yeah. really put his son ahead of all of that he, he really did and and that that was definitely something that i got that this was a guy that was hurting and that was trying to do really everything he could for his son To me, the most chilling aspect of it was just how sudden it seemed and that it didn't feel strategic or planned. It just seemed like a guy snapped and it was a frenzy because it climbing all over the roof and punching his neighbor and trying to fight the guy who was fixing the roof. And it just felt so, I mean, for lack of a better term, crazy. We sort of go through life being like, that would never happen to me to me it's not vulnerability but it's just like it totally could and it might and i have to be prepared for that as opposed to like no no this would never happen to me i don't put myself put myself in situations that would make that happen most people don't and it still happens to them anyways we don't have the answers we desire so much because Mm -hmm. we want to know why we want to know was it drugs? Was it CTE? Was it some other undiagnosed brain condition? We, we'll just never know. And that's just one of the things we'll have to accept. So obviously, uh, Shauna has insight into this person that we could never fathom. Mm-hmm. And that's the value of having these guests on this podcast. And Shauna was also a, a listener. listener. <laughs> and we value the fact that she reached out so much. And it was just a, an amazing serendipitous moment that Billy also did a mm-hmm. story on this. We're all more connected than we think. Uh, People are hiding things on varying levels all the time. We believe we understand more about each other than we really do. To look at someone like Johnny, who you would think on paper sort of has everything going for him. And he had a father who was supportive and he was making money and getting to do what he loved to do. And it was just like, and then he stabbed his landlady, killed a cat and lost his life as well. If I could ask Johnny anything, obviously, besides the why, because I don't think he would even have a good reason why, but sort of what is his philosophy about people in general? And so to just sort of ask him, like, what his philosophy on life is, because I feel like his answer would be even more shocking that he could do something like this. Now, if you could give him one piece of advice, what would you give him? If I could give him one piece of advice, it'd be stay the hell out of Hollywood and get yourself together. <laughs> biggest, mistake, biggest mistake we've all ever made. I know. <laughs> no, we should get into Hollywood. <laughs>
All right. Well, that was a good one. Amazing. I felt Thank good you, Shauna. Like we said, we are crowdsourcing these stories and we want to hear yours. If you guys are one degree away from a murder or other stranger than fiction story, please reach out to us. Our email is hello at the first degree podcast.com or write to us on our website, the first degree podcast.com. There's a submissions form there and uh, check us out on socials at the first degree at Alexis Linkletter at Billy Jensen at Jack Vanek. And please rate and review us on iTunes. Only if it's positive. Only only positive reviews, five star only, <laughs> or we'll find you and track you down. The other people are mean. People are always mean. You just I'm sorry. I'll try not to talk so close to the mic. No, or far away from the mic. <laughs> Whatever. Alexis is new to podcasting. Sorry. And I think uh, I'm going to sign off with our new tagline or our new-ish tagline. Only you can prevent serial killers. Sources for this episode include direct quotes from Los Angeles Magazine, as well as the LA Times. You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today.